0: Welcome to our pricing podcast with the Professional Pricing Society. I am Lisa Fisher with PPS. Today we will feature Philip Huthwaite, CEO and founder of Black Curve. You can find Philip at philip.huthwaite at blackcurve.com. Today's topic of discussion is how companies can fine-tune their pricing. Hello, Philip, and thank you for joining us. We're happy to have you and look forward to your pricing expertise.
1: Hello, Lisa. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Absolutely. So we'll go ahead and get started and Philip's going to share some awesome pricing information with us. So Philip, what common pricing errors do you see companies make most often?
1: So typically, um, I mean, just to sort of set the set the scene, um, Black Curve is a is a cloud-based price management and price optimization platform, and we work with companies to help fine tune their pricing, and that's why we've kind of kindly been invited today to talk about um, how to fine tune your pricing. Um, we typically see common errors that companies make is is a, is a number of errors in terms of. You know, an over-reliance on Excel to manage their pricing is a, is a key one. Um, you know, one simple formula drag on an Excel spreadsheet can cause large problems. We see an over-reliance on cost plus pricing, so whilst cost plus pricing is fair, it's justifiable to customers and ensures a region, reasonable margin, um, it does limit customers' ability to um, positive price discriminate or positively price segment um, their strategy to to different customers. You know, sometimes we, we work with companies who, if costs go down, sometimes their prices also go down because they've linked their markup automatically without necessarily the checks in place to keep that higher price. Because if customers are still buying from you at that higher price, you know there 's no reason why just because your costs have gone gone down and you 've managed to be more efficient that you can 't still sell at that higher price um, also that, that you know when, when people are using cost plus pricing, it ignores the value that your product is providing to customers and it ignores that that willingness to pay. I mean how many of us go and buy a coffee in the morning say from from Starbucks? Um, I mean you know my favorite is a cappuccino it 's three pound right. ten currently. Um, does it really cost that much? You know, I, I, I think not. You know, you're, you're buying into that experience, that brand, um, that need for that pick-me-up in the morning, um, and whether or not it costs from three, three pound ten, you, you want that caffeine hit. Mm-hmm. We sometimes find that sales teams are also over-discounting. You know, this may be because they've got a lack of discount control, they're not, you know, you're the pricing manager, or they might not be a pricing manager, is there's no information to the sales force. They don't know what prices have been achieved by, say, Jane up in the north of the country versus Bob down in the south. You know, will that customer who's buying from you time and time again still continue buying from you if if, you're, if you stop discounting? You know, once you've made that initial transaction, a lot of the time they value that relationship. So, you know, you can start to try different tactics and, and maybe not discounting. Also, we see, companies only making pricing updates once a year, and that's because a lot of the time, pricing changes can be time consuming, especially if you're a company that's got thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of products, customers that are geographically spread, it's it's a bit of a pain to do it. Um, There might be a, a drawn out manual approval process, there may not be the tools in place to apply advanced pricing strategies, but you know we've got to remember that that pricing is a journey, and you need to be constantly innovating, testing, tweaking to get those incremental gains. You know, if you if you see an error, can you change it quickly? If if you don't have the tools in place, you know it's unlikely that you will be able to. Um, I mean, there's two examples which I'd like to sort of touch upon that um, that sort of. Uh, well, I don't know. So it made me chuckle, but it um, it sort of shows that even the big boys can get it wrong sometimes. There's a there's a, a retailer in the UK which is called Marks and Spencers, mm-hmm. and they're a large a large retailer. Um, they're they're online. They have uh, bricks and mortar stores, and they were seen selling a 50-inch uh, 3D television. Which was normally retailed at, at one thousand and ninety nine pounds, probably in today 's money that 's the same in dollars and euros unfortunately, um, right. but it, 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 it was on sale um, in their website and in their stores for £199, so one hundred and ninety nine pounds so a thousand pound discount you know once that got known on twitter and, and and social media, you know you can imagine the orders flooded in um, and as a result, once they realised that mistake, they quickly changed it, and and they, they, they there were many disappointed customers who'd, who'd completed an order but hadn't received it, but actually in Marks and Spencers, as a positive for them, for the people who had actually already received the goods, they didn't do a product recall, and they sort of they accepted that error um, and, and, and they just you know, accepted it. And as a gesture of goodwill to the people who hadn't received that good, they actually gave them a, a 25 pound voucher. So they actually did very well even though they com- completed an error. Um, there's another company in the UK which is called Screwfix that did a similar thing. They're, an, they're a large um, supplier to the construction industry and they um, actually had a period where all their products were 34 pounds, 99 pence. Every product on the website you know, and it was only for uh, a, 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 for sort of thirty minutes to an hour but you know, the, the eagle eyed people out there were snapping up thousands of pounds worth of equipment for thirty four ninety nine I mean a lot of their tools were retail for kind of five hundred pounds a thousand pounds, so they were seriously losing out um, and when they quickly realized the mistake, they actually they, they issued a press release and said they're not fulfilling any orders but again, there was sort of public backlash of um, oh, you know, hang on, you've communicated a price, I've signed a contract i've've paid you the money the money's left my account why, why can 't you fulfill that so there's some sort of more high profile examples of where um, of where pricing errors have, have occurred um, and, and and so you can imagine that the pricing errors that happen and even the smaller businesses even though they don't you don 't necessarily hear about them um, they can cause significant sort of public angst um, just sort of two more points on um, on this is sometimes we see that customers, there's no consistency in the pricing that, that they're publishing to customers. Whilst this might not be necessarily a mistake, such as in the Marks and Spencers and the Screwfix example, we, when a company has maybe their good, better, best range, is the pricing that's being communicated to customers consistent? You know, Why should a cupboard, that why should, sorry, uh, uh, you know, If you're selling bathroom products, your basin that you use on a daily basis, why should a basin that has a drawer and a cupboard underneath cost less than a basin that just has a drawer underneath? You know, if customers feel that you know, oh, there's something not quite right, they'll have less confidence in your prices of your other goods and services. Um, and, and last but not least, in terms of some other common pricing areas we see, it's companies not having um, the right tools in place to apply advanced pricing strategies. And as a result, they're reliant on sort of your very basic strategies, such as cost plus pricing, which I've alluded to earlier. If you don't have the right tools in place, you can find it very difficult to see the impact of your pricing changes. You know, you don't have that transparency. It's difficult to learn. Um, if If you make a pricing mistake, you will only find out sort of maybe at year end reports when you're you're talking to your shareholders or or your finances or your leadership team, you know, and it's a year late of a pricing change which you made a mistake sort of earlier on in January, for example. Mm-hmm. And you know, other you know other strategies which we see people not adopting is um, taking advantage of psychological pricing. You know, mm-hmm. advanced pricing strategies, again, whilst not using them is not an error as such, it's you know, starting to think innovatively about how you can maximise the price of your goods and services, strategies such as psychological pricing are proven to work, yet, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure that most companies don't use it and um, there's, this, there's this famous American study of a university did that they sold a dress for 45, pounds versus 49, 40, sorry, £45 versus $49 and you know, I think nine times out of ten the $49 dress sold more than the $45, so people do fall for those mistakes even now, uh, even though we know about it, we still feel that, that the $49 is better value for money. So um, so there's just sort of an introduction in terms of some of the common pricing areas we see companies
0: making. Excellent example. Thank you so much, Philip. So segueing on to, um, and I think you touched on a couple of them, but I, there's some more examples I believe you have about common pricing strategies that you see businesses adopting.
1: Yeah, great question, Lisa. So, um, you know as I mentioned sort of cost plus pricing is one that we see uh, used a lot by organizations, and this is mainly in you know, your manufacturing and your distribution type companies, very much where they're dealing with, you know, they're at the coal face. they're very much all to do with their raw materials, they know how much their product costs and then what they do is they uh, take the cost to manufacture or buy the product and then either apply a fixed real amount uplift or a percentage uplift to get to the selling price in order to transport it to you know, higher, or higher up in the supply chain. Now, as, even though this ensures a consistent pricing across product ranges and gives them the confidence that their costs are covered, you know, as I've alluded to, it ignores the value that your product provides and you know, you're not exploiting that ability to price differently. You might be able to price higher in, um, I don't know, in, in um, uh, China versus in uh, Japan, for example, or or in in North America price higher than in south america you know or or one customer in the north of the country versus the south of the country differently um, and still sell the same so it, that that that's why i sort of i've touched upon that cost plus pricing is a strategy that whilst effective um, it can be there are better options out there but still you know i i love talking to manufacturing companies who are at the start of this journey because instantly they get really excited of oh right there's other strategies about there out there that can can just very simply, um, I can adopt and then um, improve my profitability. In a, from a retail sense, typically we see dynamic pricing being very common. And this is where, um, think of it, companies can change their prices based on maybe algorithms that have been developed, that take into account competitor pricing, supply and demand, and maybe some other external factors in the marketplace, and the real goal of dynamic pricing is to find the highest price that um, consumers are willing to pay. Now the strategy features price increases when demand is high and price decreases um, when demand is low. it's it's important to ensure that the new price is perceived well by the customer. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's examples out there. Uber is this online taxi company and um, they call it surge pricing when demand is high. However, you know, during a storm in, in I think it was in New York State, um, surge pricing was triggered automatically because of this um, this this dynamic pricing model. And after the event, there was public backlash because consumers felt that Uber was profiteering from their public safety. But, but you know, that's, that's, that's an example of where you know, they've subsequently fine-tuned that algorithm. But, but Uber is a perfect example where dynamic pricing, when done well, you can have a fantastically profitable business. Um, and, and they actually dynamically price both on the, um, the taxi uh, person themselves when they're accepting the order and also on the person who's looking to book the order. In terms of um, maybe your more of your niche markets or 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 in sectors where products are sold based on necessity, we generally see a value-based pricing adopted. So think of you know your pharmaceutical companies who are selling drugs. Um, if you need that drug because you've got um, a particular health problem, you're going to buy that drug. Or think of um, fashion, which I suppose some people could say say it's a drug as well. You know if you want right. that you want that latest handbag, you know, you're going to buy it regardless of the price. I mean, Apple is another brilliant example. You know, the new iPhone that comes out is always 700 pounds, always $700, yet yet, does it really cost them that? It probably costs them $100, 100 pounds max to produce that unit, yet people still want that must-have gadget. It can be also used in value-based pricing, it's also used on the flip side to sort of offer a you know, cheap, it, cheap and cheerful, basic value range, and and McDonald's does this with its sort of value meals, um, serving fast food for the masses. There, I mean, there are there are various other fast food chains which do the same, but um, but that's kind of one one example. And what value-based pricing is 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 trying to do is get to a point where you can achieve the highest possible price that still the customer is happy because they perceive the value they're getting um, is bang on, bang on the mark.
0: Excellent, excellent examples. So moving on, if a company wants to optimize their pricing, how would they go about it? What are your suggestions?
1: Yeah, it's kind of, I mean we always, at Black we always see pricing as a bit of a journey. The, you know, it's important to, um, before before anything, to, to know that there's not one size fits all approach. Even if you look at your competitor, the pricing strategy that they have might not necessarily fit the way that you do things. So, you know, that's, I just want to frame it initially that pricing is a journey. Now, there are certain um, steps that you can go through and if, if a company's looking to optimise their pricing. And the first thing which we would recommend is Get leadership buy in before you do anything else, get leadership buy in you know no one man or woman or one pricing manager is an island. They are part of a business, and everyone has to be behind it um, and everyone has to be behind that that pricing can be a lever for for profit growth or revenue growth depending on what your what your overall corporate strategy is. You know there has to be a desire and faith that that pricing can help, and one thing which if you're a pricing manager and you're struggling to get buy-in can do, perhaps circulate some case studies of where people, even in other industries, have, have, have been smarter at pricing, maybe adopted some innovative pricing models and really shaken up that sector and then demonstrate, the, you know share some of the results that they've achieved, because that will start to get your, your managing director, your CEO's excitement. If you can say to him, hey, Mr. Customer over there in that different sector increased their profitability by five or 10 million just by doing these simple things, you know, I would I would be very surprised if any leadership, uh, any person in leadership would ignore that and at least there would be the start of the discussion. Once you've got leadership buy-in, we typically recommend very much if you're at the start of your pricing journey, to completing and, and you don't necessarily know where to go, we generally recommend completing a, a pricing audit. Now, you can, can um, hire a specialist pricing consultancy to do this and they will bring a breadth of knowledge from, from various industries to your business. Alternatively, you can set up a bit of a, a war room internally in the business, bringing in people from different parts of, different parts of the business for a sort of a review, review board. And what ultimately the aim of a pricing audit is to do is to assess You know your maturity of your pricing operation. It's very much at a high level. It's not about making specific pricing changes. It's about assessing, you know, are there opportunities? What would the potential overall financial benefit be if I improve my prices? Now, as a result of the audit, typically you get sort of a you might do a report internally, sort of a PowerPoint document, or the consultant will provide you with a report. And what they're doing is they're going to give you areas where, you know, for example, you may be over-discounting, areas where there might be inconsistencies in how you're pricing, whether your pricing strategy is actually supporting your corporate objective to grow revenue, if that's what you're looking to do, and whether or not your customers have been segmented correctly, just, just as an example. Once you've sort of done your, done your audit and you sort of know roughly oh, I'm kind of confident that I'm not pricing correctly, I can sort of see maybe that I'm doing a bit of cost plus pricing but I'm not doing anything more advanced or I can see that I'm not really using psychological pricing well or I can see that I have a number of customers that for some reason I'm over discounting and I don't need to, this is where you can start to move into more of a sort of deep dive, deep dive analysis of your data. Um, and again, you could either call upon external pricing consultants who sort of do this day in, day out, or if you have the analytical skills in your business, absolutely fantastic. You can, you can set up a project to do that. And ultimately the aim of this is to get to a point where you're making recommendations for individual price improvements at a, at a SKU level. And what you'll do is you'll need to analyse your one orders against other data available. You need to analyse whether or not your current pricing strategy is correct. You need to um, understand what is my price elasticity. Do, Do price elasticity tests to get to a point of are certain product groups more elastic than other certain product groups. You know, typically, um, if you engage with a pricing consultancy, they will they will quote margin increases of two to five percent on average as a result of this project. Now, initially, if the results are good after the back of the pricing um, uh, consultancy phase or in-depth analysis, you know, you've, got some, you've got some good wins, then you might want to keep the relationship going with your consultant or you might want to keep the relationship going or keep the project internally going, whereby you might have initially developed an algorithm off the back of your analysis to say, if, if this data source is doing this and why data source is doing that, that means that I should change my price by X. You might want to slowly fine-tune that algorithm over time Um, and as I said at the start, pricing is a journey. You should be constantly tweaking and fine-tuning it. Last but not least on uh, on this this particular topic um, in terms of what a company can do to optimise their pricing, you may wish to, if you're not already, look at implementing a pricing tool to support your journey. Now, Pricing tools basically help support that feedback loop where you can implement advanced pricing strategies you can complete isolated pricing tests, you can then monitor the impact, you can then analyse the areas for improvement, and then make and implement those new pricing changes. And it's very much that rinse and repeat, that feedback loop, that cycle, You know that journey. Um, you're never, you know, perfection is always a thing which you're, you're, you're you know, pretty much never going to get to, but you should always be striving to that, and pricing tools help you do that. The beauty of a pricing tool over perhaps an Excel spreadsheet is that everything has everything happens in real time. You know, pricing decisions are typically more accurate, you're unlikely to get that accidental drag a sell formula conflict. Um, talking of conflicts, it will handle conflicts automatically. Typically an Excel spreadsheet is a snapshot in time and once you've implemented that, that pricing change you lose that audit history of who did what at what time and why and a pricing tool will enable you to do that. And last but not least, you know, when you're coming up with these complicated algorithms, perhaps off the back of your, your consultancy that you've done, a pricing tool will take a lot of the effort out of applying the algorithm. It will do the number crunching effortlessly.
0: Excellent, so you've given us some great steps, Philip, but are there any quick wins when it comes to fine tuning your prices?
1: Absolutely. So you know I'm a firm believer in low hanging fruit. I love love low hanging fruit and sort of things which you can especially if you're struggling to get buy in from your leadership team, it's going to be important that they've given you a bit of money to do some initial research. It's important to start showing results, results quickly. And generally price elasticity, we recommend price elasticity is a good place to start. You know, do you know, do people buy more from you when your price drops? Do, how much more do they buy? You know, do they buy less when your prices rise? How much less? And price elasticity measures the responsiveness of demand after a, there's a change in your product's price. You know, if, a, if a small change in price is accompanied by a large change in quantity demanded, the product is said to be elastic or, or sensitive to price changes. You know, alternatively, uh, if a product is inelastic, if a large change in price is accompanied by a small amount of change in quantity demanded, in terms of some examples of that, beef. You know, or you know, apologies for the vegetarians out there, but beef is an example of a product that's relatively elastic because there are lots of alternatives available. You know, and you can look at a whole host of other examples at your supermarket where there's multiple options available. Petrol, on the other hand, is inelastic because most people need it, they need to get from A to B, they need to drive their car, so even when prices go up, demand doesn't generally change much. Also, products with a stronger brand tend to be more inelastic, which makes building brand loyalty a good investment. Typically businesses who charge higher prices, typically businesses that charge higher prices of demand for the product is, 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 sorry, um, in terms of moving forward, if you can find your price elasticity, in summary of this, if you can find your price elasticity, it can help your company assess any product outliers, such as items where prices can be increased with no impact on sales. Some other sort of low-hanging fruits or, low, or, or other options which you may wish to adopt, you might think about reframing your product value. So it's easier to evaluate how much you're getting out of a, an £89 a month subscription than a thousand pounds a thousand pound a year subscription, even though the average out to be the same, the end consumer can sort of digest that a bit quicker and see oh hang on, this is how much I get paid each year. therefore you know 89 pounds doesn't seem that much. or likewise if you're a business owner, this is how much budget I get each month 1889 pounds or a thousand pounds a month doesn't seem that much. You might also wish to sort of amend some of your marketing wording or, or in some of the literature that you're sending out to customers. You might be issuing price lists to customers, for example. There was a, a CMU study who did a, a trial with, um, with various elect- electronic components and they uh, managed to increase the price by 20% by just changing the messaging from a $5 fee to a small $5 fee. And therefore, you know, that, that simple word made people think, oh right, this is actually a good deal. You might also wish to sort of keep prices simple. So there's a, a great study in the Journal of Consumer Psychology whereby researchers found that prices that contain more syllables seem drastically higher to consumers. You know, think of your, your $1,499.00 versus your $1,499 or your 1499 for some reason, people think that the one four nine nine just written out like that is cheaper than, than, the, than the item with more syllables, so it 's it's, it's thinking innovatively um, of how you can best sort of communicate your prices and lastly, on this, you might think about bundling items or, or that are typically purchased together in tandem. A great example of this is in the luxury car market you know, they generally bundle things. You, you might go and buy your, I don't know, your Land Rover or your your Volvo or Vauxhall or whatever car it is, and you know you're, they might sell you this luxury RS super kit, which includes, I don't know, heated leather seats, um, navigation system and roadside assistance for just this fantastic price, Mr. Customer. You know, you think, oh, I want that RS luxury package. You know, you, you think I'm gonna need that. Whereas if, if, if the salesperson was going to say, would you like roadside assistance? Uh, So, you know, you're going to think, oh, that's a bit rubbish, but it's it's how it's packaged differently and it's bundled differently. So you've managed to upsell and increase your order size.
0: Excellent examples of quick wins when it comes to fine-tuning your pricing. Philip, how about any long-term strategies to fine-tuning? So in
1: the long-term, first and foremost, I think you need to... Double down on research. You need to know what your market's doing, how well you've performed historically, and then over time, you know, you can move towards cl- completing more detailed sort of pricing tests. You need to know, basically, in the long term, you need to know if your pricing strategy is working. You need to be able to find and iter- do an iterative process to optimize your your pricing in order to do that in order to fine tune your pricing in the long term, you need to first of all set your business goals. So is your business goal, are you looking to grow revenue or are you looking to improve profits? Generally, if you're a publicly traded company, they always want to see revenue growth. So that's going to have a very different pricing decisions versus improving profitability. So as I mentioned, if you're looking to grow revenues, the key focus is going to be increasing the number of goods sold. You're not going to be concerned with, with margin. You need to get to that tipping point whereby reducing the price, you sell more goods which make up the difference in revenue if you kept that price at a higher point. Once you have your business goal, you can then determine what market or what products you're going to use for your, your pricing tests. You know, It's advisable to select goods and services that have a statistical representative sample, i.e. larger than average volume volume of sales. Once you've selected these parameters, you can have a, a separate control group in a similar product where you keep your prices constant as a benchmark. They don't have to be uh, the, exactly the same products, but you might want to pick, for example, if you're selling kettles, your control group might be toasters, for example, as they're both uh, sort of kitchen kitchen goods. And then you do the price test in small increments, such as you might, you might pick a small set of products and then you test it over 30 or 60 days. You make your price change, you let it run for 30 to 60 days, and then you get the results to, to test whether it's significant. You can complete sort of variance analysis to get a solid conclusion of whether or not that pricing change is having an impact on your revenues and profits. And then, um, it, you know, so, so one, basically in the long term, it's about setting this framework in order for you to complete pricing tests, innovate, um, and fine tune over, over a longer period. Because you, as much as you can do research of what ifs, you now need to get actual results.
0: Excellent. And so, Philip, what examples can you share of some companies who have successfully, excuse me, fine-tuned their pricing?
1: Yeah, I love hearing about companies who've done it well. What I'm going to do is pick sort of two that um, we have we've explicitly worked with, and then another that uh, I came across a couple of weeks ago, which sort of uh, I really enjoyed hearing about. So the first is a lighting manufacturer that we worked with, and they'd actually invested heavily in. In their manufacturing plant they 'd invested a lot of money to automate it. so if you think of a manufacturing plant they 're putting in robots to bring the cost to manufacture that that good down. However, they were, had also adopted or, or sort of a historical legacy they had a cost plus um, pricing strategy, and therefore, any gains that they 'd made through automation were pretty much wiped out that 's because in amongst the sales force, there was this general understanding that we needed to make a certain margin, and that was, ex- that was acceptable. So let's say the general um, uh, understanding was a 30% margin was acceptable. They were making a 30% margin when the goods cost more to produce, and now they're still only making a 30% margin when the co- goods cost less to produce. Now, so you know, as, you, as you can imagine, as, as any business leader would be, that's a bit of a frustrating process because you've spent a lot of money on your manufacturing plant, yet you still haven't seen any impact on your bottom line. So the leadership team really got behind the message that pricing could be used as a driver for business growth and they selected us to implement a pricing tool that enabled them to first and foremost decouple their pricing decisions from the cost plus price. And this meant that when costs change, you didn't automatically get a change in in price. And also, the pricing tool enabled them to apply advanced pricing methods, which enabled them to positively discriminate based on parameters such as uh, quantity purchased or volume sold. So they could easily price differently, for example, based on if a customer purchased one, because that's going to cost them a lot more to just manufacture one, or if a customer purchased 100 from them, because it's going to cost them less because of economies of scale. I can't, unfortunately, I can't share the exact financial benefits, but what I can say, um, just initially, even after the first six months of this tool running, the financial benefits were extremely positive. The second company was a, an entertainment company that we worked with, and they sold advertising that was broadcasted at certain times of the day. So think, um, think of radio advertising or TV advertising. You, you watch or listen to your entertainment for a period of time, and then an advert comes through. Now, they have a limited inventory each day because each channel or each station, um, you, know, you have, a, have a certain number of programmes and a certain number of advertising slots. Before working with us, their pricing team had a number of levers which they could pull, such as they could price differently depending on time of day or day of the week. However, they were looking for a lot more flexibility in the way that they fine-tune their pricing. So they worked with us and they adopted our pricing tool to enable them to price differently based on things such as seasonality. If it's Valentine's Day or Christmas Day, for example, will more people be watching the telly on on Christmas Day? Yes, because there's probably some key programmes. Therefore, you should be able to charge more. Or think of the Super Bowl. The adverts either side of the Super Bowl and during the Super Bowl go for astronomical um, Uh, prices. So can you price differently based on based on time of day? We also, and I touched upon this earlier, enabled them to price differently and set up bundles of goods. So as a way to increase deal sizes. And, um, and, and also we gave them the ability to positively price discriminate based on um, who they were and how much they were purchasing from them uh, so, so they can quickly and simply set up different contracts uh, and this was another example of where by, by adopting some additional pricing levers and, and a, a moving towards a more advanced pricing methodology again there were positive financial results. So the last example which I want to share with you, uh, again, I mentioned. Unfortunately, this wasn't one that we came up with, but, but it, it certainly impressed me a lot. Um, was was an air, air company called Air New Zealand, and they adopted this really clever um, marketing pricing strategy, which was trademarked and called One Up. And what that did basically is that if you're booking an economy seat, so you're online, you're checking, you're booking your your flight with Air New Zealand, at the final checkout page it will say to you, do you, I've bought my economy seat, do you want to buy a business class seat? Yes or no? And at that point it will basically say, well what you could do is you can buy your economy seat now but would you like to bid for the option to have a business class seat? And it will tell you what a typical winning bid is for that business class seat. You don't purchase that business class seat at checkout, but essentially you've you've said what your preference would be. So then you go away, you you wait until point of departure or near to departure, and you'll get contacted and and told, well, Mr. Customer, we've actually got sort of three unsold seats in business. Would you like to go ahead with that bid? And this is a fantastic strategy, because what it does is it, it enables them to still sell business class seats at a higher price. But if there are is inventory which is unavoid- which is still not sold, they can still get it sold at a lower price. But they you know previously it would remain unsold or empty, but they're getting they're getting money out of it. So that's that's an example of where you know, the business class person who's paid full whack is not going to be upset because they didn't want to take the risk that they weren't going to get a business class seat. And again, the person who's bought that economy seat with the off chance they'll get an uplift, uh, get get sort of bumped up for a small fee is also happy and the airline's happy because they've got more money. So it's win-win for everybody. And this is really where um, you know thinking outside the box from a pricing point of view is is brilliant and I haven't come across a strategy such as this and I'm, you know, I'm already starting to think where else could this be
0: applied. Excellent example. So in wrapping up, Philip, we've talked about lots of different topics. Um, if companies want to optimize their pricing, how do they go about it? Quick wins we discussed, long-term strategies to fine-tuning pricing, and then some awesome examples. Let's wrap up and tell our listeners what are some pitfalls that they can avoid when fine-tuning their pricing?
1: So I suppose, you know first and foremost, if you get your pricing wrong, it's going to cause a decrease in revenue and potentially profitability as well, uh, but I think Really, the, the, the you know that's that's kind of without saying. I think one of the things which a lot of people perhaps ignore is the pitfall is what the customer is going to say and how they're going to react to any pricing changes. You know, it's about about that balancing act, that that walking on that um that that wire and managing to to stay up that circus wire and managing to stay up. It's, it's that fine fine balance. You know, there's a number of high-profile cases where there's been negative press as a result of, uh, of completing sort of pricing changes which haven't been sort of well received. And you know, we look at, there's a, I, I don't know if this, this chocolate bar is available in the States, for example, but there's a, a chocolate bar which, I, I mean, you can buy it at airports called Toberone, and they got into a lot, of, a lot of problem recently about they actually reduced the amount of chunks on that chocolate bar and increased the space between each chunk. Now, it's a bit of a silly thing to do, you know. People started taking pictures on Twitter, and people were getting actually quite quite frustrated about this and saying this is ridiculous. Um, and there was there was actually a lot of public backlash, and they they had a lot of uh, a lot of problems. Now, whether or not you know that public backlash will mean that they'll make less money, time will tell. But um, but you know, it's important to consider the customer when when making pricing changes. Another example is Unilever. Uh, in the UK, we've um, we've recently voted to leave the European Union as part of Brexit, and as a result, you know our our exchange rates are fluctuating quite a lot. Um, and you know they what they tried to do is strong arm a number of leading supermarkets and and increase the prices for goods. And as a result, during that sort of negotiation phase, a lot of the supermarkets for Unilever brands the shelves were empty. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's as a good example of Marmite is a is a product which we spread across, spread on toast, and that product was 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 they were trying to increase the price for that product, but it was actually manufactured, and also all the ingredients were supplied in the UK. Therefore, it's not it's not sort of open to currency it, currency changes. The cost is the cost. And they didn 't fare very well off the back of making these these pricing changes and that', that, was, that was another example of, of a pitfall of making making that pricing change but again but you know really from a from a Marmite point of view that' they 've invested Unilever invested heavily in brand loyalty, so they 'll probably get away with it but you 've got to consider consider public backlash i mean finally we 've got um, coca cola uh, a drinks company they've got an example of where they implemented a value based pricing strategy and almost probably took it to the to too much of an extreme they started a trial on their vending machines whereby if the temperature increased the cost of a coke can would automatically increase as well now you know that end consumers were like goodness me that's that's massively unfair it's hot outside i want to buy my refreshing coke drink and you're charging me a lot more than you would have done this morning when it was a bit chilly. So you know there was massive public backlash on Twitter. They took a lot of um, on other social media channels and on the news. They they actually then backtracked and this this is no longer no longer available. But hats off to Coca-Cola though. They they trialed that in one location before rolling it out. And some you win some, you lose some. Um, but that's an example of fine, it didn't work in that instance, but they weren't afraid to test, to tweak, to fine tune, to innovate, to see if it, if it would ultimately be a positive strategy for them.
0: Excellent, excellent examples. Philip, thank you again for joining us and sharing your insights on how companies can fine tune their pricing. PPS, the Professional Pricing Society, will also host a pricing chat with Philip on Wednesday, 18th of January, At 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, please join him live on Twitter. And the topic is the importance of price optimization. You may also visit our website at PricingSociety.com for additional information on all upcoming podcasts and pricing chats. Get social with the Professional Pricing Society and subscribe to our blog, ThePricingAuthority.com, and follow us on Twitter at Pricing Society. Stay tuned for a monthly pricing podcast where other industry experts join us to share their pricing best practices. Philip, it has been my pleasure and we look forward to talking with you again soon.
1: Thank you Lisa and thank you PPS.